Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves movies about walking really long distances, Palmer. How are you today? That is a lie. That Nobody is... likes movies about walking long distances. That the best part about you just saying that is a lie is that is a pretty famous meme from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and so the fact that you indirectly quoted Lord of the Rings to say that is a lie in some way sounds like you actually do love Lord of the Rings. And I will run with that forever now. Thank you so much. No. Yes. Yes. Maybe. No. Maybe. No. There we go. Now I can hear you. Oh, you couldn't hear me before? No, I could hear you, but it was just sounded so far away. Oh, well, I'm glad that you fixed that problem. Palmer. It sounded like you were in another state. Another state? Well, I I am in another state, so that's (laughs) weird. Can you hear my yodeling is the real question. Yodeling. Indeed. Indeed. Well, anyway, Palmer, how are you today? I'm good. But now I have uh, the producers. We lived in the back. All we heard was yodeling. Yodeling. I was actually thinking of the sound of music, but that's okay, too. I'll take (laughs) either of those. No, we already did that one. Uh, We did. We'll never do the producers, though. So sad. Aww. The movie was not good enough to be nominated, apparently. Palmer, we're here to talk about the 2004 Best Picture nominees for the Academy uh, Awards. They, okay. are as, they are as follows. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, Seabiscuit, Lost in Translation, Mystic River, and The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Palmer, I know you know what won, but what won yep. Best Picture? Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit indeed did not win Best Picture. Um, Aww. It was the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King, that swept the Oscars with eleven awards. It did that not year. sweep. It did. It it, it, it swept. won for every category it was nominated in. That is but correct. It did not. It did not win any acting awards. It did not win best documentary. <laughs> it did not win short subject. No, you're right. It didn't win. It didn't win best short subject because the movie is three hours. <sighs> And in so and long. it uh, and it didn't win documentary because it's a fiction. So very good. Yeah. Uh, it did not win any acting awards, though. You are correct. It was nominated. Um, it was nominated the first time around. Fellowship. Um, Ian McKellen was nominated for yeah. Gandalf for Fellowship, but yeah. he had but he was not nominated um, post that. This Probably because around. in in some like because most people aren't nominated when they've played the same character again that was like a sometimes that's a thing depending on the depending on the year i mean it's reasonable although it it um, is you've had practice so yeah 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 yeah, that's why i I think um i think sylvester stallone was nominated for rocky twice i think he was nominated for rocky and then he was nominated for rocky balboa okay um, um, which he should have won. I think that's true, but maybe because it had been such a, a long span, like yeah. they said, like oh, yeah. like he's so different now. It's not like yeah. he he was nominated for Creed. That's what it was, not Rocky Balboa. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. more sense. That makes yep. much more sense. Um, so technically, it's in a like a side franchise, or it's like an it's like a uh, in a yeah. But I mean, uh, it's a, it is the same character. It's just, it is. He's but it's been many decades. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah. But anyway, Ian McKellen so, was nominated, never won. I think I. Okay, go on because we're just going to start talking about Lord of the Rings before we even get to the movie. I was going to say so. <laughs> let's 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 go backwards and we're going to talk about Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World first. Okay. Uh, directed by Peter Weir, written by Peter Weir and uh, and John Cawley, based on the novels by Patrick O'Brien. Uh, this movie starred Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany, James Darcy, and Billy Boyd. Um, the guy from the guy from uh, Sense and Sensibility, James Darcy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. Yes, actually. Ooh, now that I Wait, I was don't it Sense know. And Sensibility? No, that's no. You're talking Pride, Pride and, Prejudice. and Prejudice, but yes. no, I don't think it's the same. I think that's an, another guy. James Darcy played Jarvis in the Peggy Carter TV show. I just meant. The guy's last name. Oh, Mr. oh, Darcy. Mr. Darcy. Yes, it's the same guy. You have a hard time distinguishing between fact Sw- and fiction today. Swing, Are you okay? Swing and a miss, literature teacher. Oh well, well, look. No, no, no. Look up who played Mr. Darcy in the Kira Knightley, um, in the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice. It was a Kira Knightley Pride. And oh, Prejudice? it was Matthew. It was Matthew McFadden. That's who I was thinking of. But there's a. Oh, There's a right, couple yeah. of famous acting Darcy's out there, so that's why I got con- I got confused. Yeah, um, that's Good okay. Job. Thank you. Uh, Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Editing, Production Design, Costume Design, Makeup, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. It won Best Cinematography and Best Sound Editing. Mm, okay. Uh, and indeed, and uh, that was a thing. So anyway, this uh, if you have not seen Master and Commander, it is set during the Napoleonic Wars. A brash British captain pushes uh, his ship and crew to the limits to pursue a formidable French war vessel around South America. Mm-hmm. Palmer, have you seen this movie before? I have not. It you always know, I, looked very dull. It's funny because I had... Always wanted to. I had always wanted to see this movie, and I just never got. A, I just never got around to it. It wasn't one mm-hmm. that I thought of. So I was really excited to. I was really excited to dive into this and ah, I, get it, dive get it because water, water. <laughs> got him. I I enjoyed this movie. It was okay. fun. I thought. Uh, I thought the characters were engaging. I thought the friendship uh, between. Paul Bettany's doctor and um, Russell Crowe's captain really kind of held the movie together. It felt like they had kind of been on many adventures already and they knew each other so well. It was slow at times. Like it could have like I think it could have moved itself at kind of a greater like I kind of under I I kind of understood where they were going before they got there a lot. Um, And so but but I thought the filming on filming on. a set like that must have been very difficult because it has to make everything look so close quartered and cramped. But you've got to fit like all a camera. This, you've got to fit a camera <laughs> and the director and like all this different stuff. And filming on the water is always difficult. And so I was I was very impressed with the movie pretty much across the board. I mean, the, those I wasn't as enamored with the friendship as you were. To my mind, this is one of those movies that. Like, you tell me it got nominated for cinematography, sound, visual effects. Mm-hmm. Like, all right. I, I completely understand. Like, that movie that movie was shot really well. The visual effects look good. Even, you know, 
16 years on, they still look, they still look good. Um, but I think this is a, in my mind, this is a typical example of a technically well done movie mm. that just because it ticks, like we've talked about this before, where does it become like, how many boxes do you have to tick before you can be like, this should get nominated for best picture? Oh yeah. I agree. Sometimes we do talk about movies that, um, we do talk about movies, especially in the history of the Academy, that like you, we've watched a lot, and we're like, "Wow, that was nominated because it was in Technicolor," you know, right? And then that, that was big. Wow, was good. Yeah, I don't think that Master and Commander fits exactly into that category, but if you do notice in the nom, it, it did, it doesn't come t- close to touching, um, uh, getting nominated for its narrative for its narrative competency, I guess. Right. But, I mean, so the question becomes, like, how... If you think the narrative is lacking, Mm -hmm. how much does the technical aspect lift it up? Because I think to be nominated for Best Picture, you you should at least be average or above in a lot of... in a lot of categories... I agree, but I don't think that this was. I don't think this the. I don't think it was below average. I found the story. I definitely engaging. I think the. Yeah. I don't know if the movie has to. I. I think if the movie won, like somewhere along, like adapted screenplay or you know original screenplay, it probably should because like at the end of the day, it's telling a story, so it probably should win that award or at least be nominated. For that award, and but you know it wasn't, and it didn't win. So, um, it's possible that Master and Commander fits in one of those categories where it's nominated for so many other things. It almost like just kind of like, also here's Best Picture, right? And I mean, again, like effects, cinematography, production design, like these are all things like I'm fine with it being nominated for. But I just had the overall question of like how many boxes. How many nominations do you need to tick in order to be like, yeah, we should also give it best picture? Mm. You know, do I think this was do I think this was the best picture? No. Am I sad I watched it? No. It's a little it was a little dry for me, but I thought the action sequences that it had were done really well. Yes, they were. It, it feels like a movie that was made in the the like, the heyday of golden age of Hollywood, or almost in like the the resurgence of epic films, like um like like the late fifties, early sixties, like the Ben Hur's and the Spartacuses, and you know like things like that, sword and sandals kind of, but yeah. Napoleonic Wars. It has that yep. kind of gravitas to it. Um, it it definitely tries to, and I think the action sequences do lend it to that. I just found this. I just found the story to be lacking. Sure. Do you think it deserves its best cinematography award out of these? Out of these um, knobs? Because I'll spoil. So, like, so Lord of the Rings won most of its awards in Return of the King, but it did win awards for other movies previously that it didn't go back and get. So, like, Fellowship of the Ring won cinematography. And so, and I think the Academy really treated Lord of the Rings like because it was all filmed at the same time and out of sequence. Mm-hmm. It's not like they filmed Fellowship and then they filmed Two Towers and then they filmed Return of the King. They filmed all of them 
like right. um, over the course over the course of a year and a half together, and mm-hmm. so they they kind of treat it like one large movie. And so, do you think so? Like they're like, okay, it won in fellowship, so we're not going to go back and repeat that again. And do you so? Do you think that Master and Commander is like? Is, do you think Master and Commander is like sitting in like a golden opportunity to get? to get sound editing in a cinematography award because of that or or does something like or does lost in translation do a better job i don't know we'll have to see come the rewindies indeed we will um great point anything you'd like to add about master and commander um there's no mutiny no so no he's a good he's, he's good. a good captain he's a good captain i mean i mean paul bettany's like you know paul bettany kind of looks at him a couple times like what are you doing but there's just no mutiny and if there's no mutiny on a ship i just don't buy the movie interesting okay well let's move on to fun facts then see how close they got to mutiny on set or something like that okay during the film's pre-production the replica of captain jane cook's ship hms endeavor was circumnavigating the globe the production was able to fly two cameramen to the ship as it was about to sail around the bottom of south africa a route that the HMS surprise takes in the film. Thus, the footage of the stormy seas from that part of the voyage is genuine. The Endeavor sailors were used in costumes, kept on board for displays. Huh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's very cool. The film was intended to be the first entry in a franchise. However, due to low box office numbers, no sequels were ever made, despite critical acclaim and multiple Oscar nominations. That doesn't surprise me. Um, It's hard to make a sea voyage movie interesting yep i think in the same type of movement over and over again and right this story feels rather complete like i like good good they're gonna have more time together i also know that this is a, a combo of a couple of different of two tri- books, yeah. yeah and so um yeah oddly enough of the master and commander and the far side of the world book Oh, is that what they did? Which, okay. Yeah, which okay. is why they just went with the insanely long title. Indeed. During the first encounter with the Acheron, Killick and his mate are seen running into the captain's cabin, and Killick is heard to say, Get the captain's silver. This is a slight nod to a running theme in the novels where Killick has a mania for polishing metal surfaces and religiously watches over Captain Aubrey's. Uh, uh, Prodigious set of silver plate. Well, that's that's fun. Hooray. Yeah. That's the fun fact. Those are the fun facts you went with. You didn't go with that Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany learned to play the violin and the cello just for this movie. Correct. Okay, good. Did you not? Was that not part of the fun fact list? No, it was. Um, but mm. I think that's fascinating. They did a great job. I, I'm always interested in watching actors play i know but it's like it's always interesting to watch actors play instruments on screen because you're like are you really doing it or is the camera tricking me into watching you do it and something like that like oh i just see your head and the bow moving but i don't see your finger placement so you're not really playing the violin you know or the cello but they really played their instruments and i thought that was very cool they got dubbed over with professional yeah. players afterwards, but I think that so it was all for naught. No, it wasn't because I because it's still they still were playing the song that you heard. You just heard a someone who was better at playing those instruments play it, and so I think like I get very distracted when I get very distracted when 
they're not really playing the instrument. Like you can tell they're just faking it. Um, some instruments it's easier to fake than others. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I like give them a lot of props cause those are not easy instruments even to fake. And so to actually try to learn them is very impressive. If you say so, I do say so. Do you want to move on to our next film? Sure. We're going to talk about Sea Biscuit, directed by Gary Ross, based on the uh, screenplay by Gary Ross, based on the book by Laura Hildebrand, starring Tobey Maguire, Jeff Bridges, Elizabeth Banks, Chris Cooper, and William H. Macy. Nominated for Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, Editing, Production Design, Costume Design, and Sound Mixing. This movie won zero awards. It evolves. It is the true story of the undersized Depression-era racehorse whose victories lifted not only the spirits of the team behind it, but also that of their nation. I had never seen this movie, and I had actually resisted watching it forever because I had zero interest, and I was pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed this from beginning to end. That was it's beautiful. a really good feel-good movie. It is a great feel-good movie. Uh, the, everybody in it is is given their all. Uh, it's it's a, a beautiful film. Cinematography is gorgeous. The music's great. Uh, Randy Newman did the music actually on it. You can he- it's very you can hear parts of it that are very Randy Newman. And um, I thought I really I I really took to it. I didn't realize that um, it was um, that the story of I'd also get like the story of the foundation of Buick. So at the same time, mm. um, which was kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, I I see why it was nominated. But I also see why it didn't win because while it I think it, like the story's good, the screenplay's good, the editing's good, production design is good, every the costumes are good. Like I, I it's all good, but none of it I think stands out beyond other movies that I've seen that are kind of like it. Not racehorse okay. movies, but like feel good, you know, not feel good movies that, you know, whether it's a racing movie or a baseball movie or, you know, a football, you know, like any kind of those like we're a team and we came together and we feel good about this true story. Mm-hmm. It's very much like many of those other movies that are out there, and so I can. But this one has a horse. But this one has a horse, and he was very good. And they didn't even have to give him peanut butter to talk at the end, which I thought was pretty magical. I know. Mm-hmm. What, um, what did you think? I re- I really enjoyed this movie. I watched. I've seen it before, and I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. So it was interesting to revisit it so many years later to see if I would still like it as much, and I did. Um, William H. Macy is a joy for his scenes in this movie. Jeff Bridges, who I, who can, like, I think he's a really good actor, but sometimes it just, like, he's just Jeff Bridges. He's just Jeff Bridges. There's a reason that no, everybody's good, but there's a reason nobody was nominated here. See, I'm I'm, I'm honestly surprised, like, William H. Macy's not, like, because I think he goes... He goes above. He's all in. Like, he plays a character. It's true, but I a lot of times you're nominated for having some kind of emotional, like, dip and rise somewhere. Yeah, he doesn't really have, he doesn't really have a story or a through line. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just there as a side character. That's right. He's a supplementary character. He's not even, like, a secondary character or a supporting character. He's, like, in, in right. he's not, he's there because the plot is necessary for him to be there. But he doesn't move the story forward. He, you know, he yeah. comments on the story. I absolutely love uh, Elizabeth Banks in this movie. 
for one, she looked um, – just the change of her hair color because we're normally used to seeing her like blonde. Mm-hmm. So like the change of her hair color and just makes her look so different. And I just love seeing her in the period clothing. Like she pulls off the look so fa- uh, flawlessly. Mm-hmm. You know, she looks very – you know, it's a very classical beauty that she has in this movie. And I do really like how, you know, her character supports everybody. She's not given a whole lot to do, unfortunately. But this, when she is given, like when she is giving stuff to do, she just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I think she's, I think she's good. I don't know. I think she, maybe it's the type of role that she has in the film. But like you said, she she's not given tons to do. You know, so it's really it's really. Chris Cooper and Jeff Bridges that are kind of the like the support of this mm. film and, and Tobey Maguire certainly like it is in some ways about it is in some ways about him but it's but not really, not really. like it's weird cuz he has he has the storyline of like he's very angry he sure is bob yeah he sure is. <laughs> you know he uh he's very angry about life in general and you think like and like him and the horse kind of develop this relationship and it helps him become a you know a better person which i really like but i don't think the movie focuses on it as much Mm-mm. no like you don't really he changes but you don't ever really see like the changing he just kind of changes yeah i i agree um, with that yeah there's a th- and there's some scenes that i think were weird to a certain extent like Jeff like Jeff Bridges asks him like why are you always so angry? And like the next scene you just see him like go up to Jeff Bridges and like can I borrow some money to go see a dentist? He's he's a It's like, "Oh, so your teeth hurt and that's why you're angry?" <laughs> like He's like, "Yes, I need Novocaine." Yep. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Something about angry Tobey Maguire, sometimes I just have a hard time believing. It's kind of like sleazy Tobey Maguire where I'm like, "Are you though?" It's it's his face, like you don't buy it. Yeah, I maybe he just he just he's got an old golly look to him, and so whenever he plays anybody or he's supposed to be angry, instead mm-hmm. of oh golly or sad or something like it, just doesn't really work for me. I think it's why I like him as Nick in Gatsby because he looks like he he's got a um, innocence. To him, and so when he's supposed to be playing a character that is allegedly not innocent, I was like, mm, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, he shouldn't have listened to anybody about that hair. Like the red hair did not do him any favors. Oh no, it it sure didn't. Oh my gosh, no, <laughs> no. But anyway, um, give me some fun facts on Seabiscuit. Yeah, Seabiscuit fun facts. Yes, a contraption called the. Equisizer was used to film the close-up action. It resembled a hobby horse. It was a mechanical horse that had springs, a wooden head, and a carpet body. It was affectionately called SSC Biscuit. In reality, it was a 12-foot by 20-foot rolling platform with a steering wheel in the rear and front. It simulated the rolling action of a running horse, and yet it ran on rails around the track. It was powered by a 454 Chevy engine and could go up to speeds of 40 to 50 miles per hour. Very cool. Very cool. Should have been powered by a Buick, though. I mean. <laughs> 
while never stated in the movie, War Admiral and Seabiscuit were in the same bloodline and rather closely related. A stallion named Fair Play sired Man of War and Man of War sired War Admiral and Hardtack. Hardtack was Seabiscuit's father, making Seabiscuit War Admiral's nephew. That's great. I kinda, it's a small horse breeding world, but still. <laughs> This unspoken connection between Marcella and Charles that she brings up in the first meeting is that she was the older sister of the wife of his eldest son, effectively making her his niece-in-law. Neither her sister or his eldest son are depicted in the film. Well, I'm, that would have complicated things from a narrative point of view, so I'm glad that they left that out. <laughs> That's weird. It's all good, though. Well, yep. that was... That was great. All right, on to our next film, Lost in Translation, directed by Sofia Coppola and written by Sofia Coppola, starring Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, and Giovanni Ribisi. Nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Murray, and Director, it won Best Original Screenplay. Story revolves around a faded movie star played by Bill Murray and a neglected young woman, Scarlett Johansson, and they form an unlikely bond after crossing paths in Tokyo. I'd never seen this movie before. It's always on one of those, like, you gotta see it lists. You gotta see it. You got, when are we gonna see Lost in see Translation? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so anyway, uh, I had never seen it. I was mildly, I was mildly disturbed, but also intrigued at the same time. And at the end, I decided Weird. that I did like it. That's kind of how you mildly disturbed. I think that the I think that the bond they I think the bond that Murray and Johansson share is um, one like out of it's it's out of e equal loneliness. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm, for, mm -hmm. you know, for for the for different reasons. But I think that the movie starts like it doesn't really go there, which I was happy for. But it really does like move in a like now we're getting into a creepy connection as opposed to, um, you know, like as opposed to one of mutual respect. Like it doesn't it doesn't cross the boundary into like a sexual relationship, which right. which which I like. So but, um, so. Yeah, so, like, I don't understand – if it went into that, I could see the creepiness. Right, but it stays away from there, and that's why I, I – that's why, like, the mildly dis the mildly disturbed part isn't so much, like, their relationship. Like, I don't have yeah. a problem with it, it, it but it, it was the – um, it was the wondering if that's where we were going, It like, is the part that was, like – but by but it resolves just because itself. that tends to be it the, resolves itself uh, by not going there. So that's why I said I decided that I like it. Right. It's a four out of five for me. This is not like a, um, but I had to see it to its completion. Okay, to to get that. Right, uh, I absolutely adore this movie. Like I loved the movie when it first came out. I really like most of Sofia Coppola's movies. I can't think of one offhand that I don't like. Um, I tend to, so when I know she's doing a movie, I tend to try and seek it out and to watch it. Um, you know, this put Scarlett Johansson on the map. She's 17. You look like you're saying, want to say something. Go ahead. No, I'm just looking at Sofia Coppola's filmography. Oh, uh, I just didn't, know, I just didn't know that she directed a very Murray Christmas. That was, that's, yes. that was just surprising to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Bill Murray now only really works with her and Wes Anderson. And one of them is a good director and writer, and the other is Wes Anderson. 
Ah, uh, no. Why would you say such things? Well, I mean, I know why you say such things, but yeah. All right, let's. So, we're not here to talk about Wes Anderson. No, I know. So I think Bill Murray is absolutely great in this movie. He is. He is funny. He is the Bill Murray. He is a restrained version of the Bill Murray that I love. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, you know, he's not. He's not just like weird and doing like a strange character. He's doing his like Bill his eighties Bill Murray, but it's very restrained and refined to to kind of to kind of uh be right in the movie. Uh Scarlett Johansson, who's seventeen when they film this, um, does a really wonderful job. Although I do wonder like like how much they had to talk her out of wanting to play all of the all of the background actors in Japan. And she was young then. I don't think that I don't think she it had gotten to her that way. Ah, all right. Um I find their relationship I find their relationship cute. And yes, if it had turned sexual it wouldn't have been so much. I will say I will say I don't think it's weird, but like um when she shows up to his apartment mm-hmm. or when she shows up to his hotel after he spends the night with the singer, mm-hmm. um, she gets jealous. Mm. That's right. That's that's kind of where the ickiness started to, to seep in See, for me. It's not. But like, it's a jealousy of um, loneliness. It's not a it's not a sexual jealousy. Right. See, I was going to I was going to say like. I would get the ickiness if the jealousy was on his end because he is the one who's so much older, whereas she could have, like, she probably has, like, the quote-unquote schoolgirl crush, so that's where the jealousy comes from. Mm. So, like, that kind of jealousy I'm fine with because she – it's on her end and not his. She's the one pursuing it, but she doesn't pursue that type of relationship. It's just a weird jealousy that she has, which is fine. Um, the movie is, I think, incredibly nuanced with their characters and, you know, it's all, I, it, you know, it's all shot in, in, on location and it just, you know, it looks really good. And for an independent movie, I think it moves at a pretty decent clip. Actually, yes, it does. It's under two hours, which is pretty extraordinary. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that, um... I think that under lesser actors, uh, I don't know how much they. I don't know how. I think. I think the. I think Murray and Johansson, and to an extent Giovanni Ripsey, are the reasons that like the screenplay really molds together and works. Mm-hmm. Um, because other like you could read, you could read the the bare bone relationship as something different than than it is and so but i um but there's a a kind of like a wryness but also an honesty to all of their performances that i i really appreciated i just i got a big kick out of bill murray just even being like an aged action star that really they're like oh when you were on the motorcycle when I was like this is great I love this <laughs> like which, what alternate reality did we get this Bill Murray no kidding also I was really this is not really related to the movie necessarily but I was I'm sure that actually she shot 
it this way. Actually, I bet you Sophia Coppola shot it this way to to exaggerate the difference. But I couldn't get over how tall Bill Murray was. Like I've never really thought about it before. Oh yeah, but he, he was is. a giant in this movie. Yeah, uh, and Scarlett Johansson is tiny. Like she is a short little thing. So I think that like that she made me uh, like it's. Um, there's a separate there's a separation like Murray's height almost separates him from Tokyo and Johansson herself like it like it's he is in a completely different realm than every mm-hmm. than everybody else and even her to its own extent and that um, Coppola kind of shows that through their height differences mm-hmm. I appreciated I appreciated that but I was like wow he is definitely I looked at it be six two I really yeah. didn't think Bill Murray was that tall I don't know why <laughs> no I mean. Yeah, he is he is pretty tall and the movie is funny. It's not like overtly knee slapping. No, it's independent it, drive kind of funny. It's yeah, Nebraska but, but funny. Good. Yeah. It's Nebraska <laughs> funny. Yeah, it's Nebraska funny. Yeah. Because we yeah, Nebraska was good, so yeah. From last from last episode. Yep. It's Nebraska funny. Yeah. 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 It's um sideways funny. You know, it's like it really is that dry independent humor funny. But yeah. I think it's but there's like this shade of melancholy that runs through the whole film. Uh and so it's never uproarious and that's what I, I kinda like about it because it feels restrained that way. Mm-hmm. Like you because it's Bill Murray, you expect something bigger. Um mm-hmm. and it never goes there and I, I, I like that very much. Um this is good yeah. It, there was it's it's good, and I I think I see why people don't like it if they if I don't. if they read it the wrong if they read it the wrong way. Um, but I think Coppola took great care, and the actors took great care in presenting the truth. Mm-hmm. So, which I think I would assume is in your fun facts. So I want to no yeah no it's not okay. Well, tell us your fun facts anyway. Sophia Coppola wasn't sure if Bill Murray was actually going to show up for the film. Murray works without a management, and according to Coppola, he had only given her a verbal con- uh, confirmation. While production was being set up in Tokyo with no sign of him, she started to get nervous but was assured by Wes Anderson, who had directed Murray in Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums, that Murray was a man of his word. It was, in- it was indeed when Murray landed in Tokyo one week before filming that his participation was ensured. That's great. I kind of love that he keeps everyone guessing, but he's a man of his word. So, yeah. He'll show up. Yeah, um at one like at some point he decided to like fire his representation. And basically he has an answering machine. Yes, I set know up this. to a number. Yeah. yeah. And like you need to get the number off of like somebody that knows him to to even be able to call him. Yeah, it's cool, and he's just like, yeah, okay, I'll do that movie. That sounds good. It's such a yep. Bill Murray. You know, he can do whatever he wants. He's Bill Murray. Yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, Sophia Coppola's father, urged her to shoot the movie in high definition because it's the future. But she chose the film. She chose film because film feels more romantic, and I think it, in this movie it really works. Like, I agree. A very glossy look. I don't like would have given the movie less character. I agree. It's a it's got a haze to it because like the whole their whole experience kind of feels like a elongated dream at the mm-hmm. same time or a kind of like a waking nightmare in some yep. ways. And so I think the I think film was the right way to go. Um, although the 
high def like could have shown kind of the like the contrast between themselves and Tokyo itself, like the world that they find themselves inhabiting at that moment. Mm-hmm. So it could have worked for a different reason, but I'm glad that she kind of stuck to her gut there. Yeah. Sofia Coppola wrote a lot of the film based on her life. The character of John Giovanni Ribisi was loosely based on her then husband, Spike Jones. Rumor has it that Anne F- Anna Ferris's character, Kelly was supposedly Cameron Diaz with whom Spike Jones worked on being John Malkovich, though Coppola denied the connection in an Entertainment Weekly interview. Now, I know Sofia Coppola denies it in an interview, but knowing that and then watching Anna Faris's performance, she is playing Cameron Diaz. She's at least acting like Cameron Diaz throughout the movie, especially like early 2000s Cameron mm-hmm. Diaz where like almost every movie she's in she has like a dance number in underwear yep it's true and just it's yeah. true she does that's correct wow she has a dance number in a lot of her movies now that I think about it yeah starting with the mask and then moving forward from there yep oh man do we get to watch mask. the mask on the- Charlie's Angel <laughs> no we don't oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, like like hearing that and then watching the movie, you sit there going, "No, she's she's playing Cameron Diaz." Like it's quite obvious. I wish I kind of I wish I had known that before watching this movie because I I didn't. So I I this this was like, "Wow, Anna Faris, you're so good. I love Anna Faris. She's hilarious." So do I. I, I I loved her ever since uh, Scary Movie. Oh right, that is her in Scary Movie. I completely forgot. I yeah. haven't watched that since it came out. So it goes to show how long it's been. Wow. That's funny. Anyway, uh, I can see it. I would almost I'm almost inclined to go back and and watch her scenes just to see what she's doing with that. But that's a good fun. That was a good fun fact. I enjoyed that. That was a very good one. That was like top 20 of your fun facts. Hmm. I don't want to do actually that. I don't want to go through all these episodes to find all your fun facts. To rate them. No, that's a terrible idea. I'm not doing that. Let's talk about Mystic River, directed by Clint. Okay. Directed by Clint. It's a river in Boston. It sure is, Palmer. It sure is. Which, oddly enough, it's not next to the Mystic Aquarium. It is also not next to Mystic Pizza, which is in Connecticut. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same river. Probably isn't. Um, direct. It's because that uh, because uh, Mystic Pizza is in the town of Mystic. Which is right. also not near Mystic yeah, River. Mystic River. There's a lot of problems with this uh, geography. I was going to say, I've seen a lot of plot problems already. So, yeah. um, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Brian Hegelin, based on the novel by Dennis Lehane. Both of them from Boston or the Boston area. Yeah, I was going to say, Brian is from uh, like the Dartmouth, New Bedford area. Yes, he is. Brian and I went to the same college at one point. Isn't that fun? Not at the same time, though. No, he's much older than I am. Yeah. Um, Because I was but a high schooler when this movie came out. Anyway, starring Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, Kevin Bacon, Lawrence Fishburne, Marcia Gay Harden, Laura Linney, and Emmy Rossum. Nominated for Best Picture, (laughs) Supporting Actress, Marcia Gay Harden, Director, Adapted Screenplay. It won Best Actor for Sean Penn and Best Supporting Actor for Tim Robbins. Uh, The movie is about the three lives of, of grown men who are childhood friends uh, who are shattered when one of them has a f- and 
Wow, that is a terribly written thing. I'm just going to recap this myself. I just copy and paste this. See what happens when you Whoa. just copy and paste? Yeah, says the man who copies and pastes his fun facts. Anyway. This movie, you don't know that. This movie involves around three childhood friends who have now drifted as adults and their lives were forever shaped when one of them was abu- was kidnapped and abused as a child and then as adults one of the other children uh one of the uh one of the other children who is now an adult uh suffers a family tragedy that they all get tangled up in again um i vividly remember when this movie came out and i vividly remember Everyone talking about it, like, oh my gosh, you got to see Mystic River. You have to see Mystic River. And for, I hadn't, I've never seen it. And uh, yeah. I had resisted it for a long time because I thought it was, oh, you got to see it because we, I used to live in the Boston area and, you know, in Massachusetts. And so, like, I was like, oh, yes, it's filmed in Massachusetts. I get it. You have to see it. Cause this was at the age when, like, it was a big deal to film a movie in Boston. And now, right. It's not. You just, That's why you still tell me I have to watch Passionata. You do have to watch Passionata. No, I don't. But it wasn't filmed in Boston. It was literally filmed in the town we grew up in. And it has Jason <laughs> Isaacs in it. And Emmy Rossum. And Emmy Rossum. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you have to watch it. It's also a romantic comedy. Your bread and butter. Mm. But it has it has uh, scenes at the Portuguese feast, and I, I can't. Yes, it does. It also has scenes in Connecticut. What do you want? So, <laughs> like, okay. So, anyway. Um, so, uh, truthfully, I was blown away by this movie. Because, you know, like I've said, like, I'm not a big Clint Eastwood fan. I think sometimes yeah. his movies are a little overwrought. Mm-hmm. I friggin' loved this movie. And it wasn't because it was Boston. Like, I was just really enamored by the story, the relationships between the characters, the performances, the the clip that it moved at. I found for an Eastwood film, it actually had, like, a pretty brisk pace that I was mm-hmm. not expecting because that's yeah. not normally how he works. Um, but I was I was riveted the whole time. And I really, I, I really thought I knew how it was going to turn out, but this was not a, um, it's kind of, it's definitely a mystery, but it's not a fair play mystery. So there's like different types of mysteries. This is not a fair play mystery in which you're given all the facts straight up, like straight up front. Some of them are, um, you're given some clues, but not all of them. And so you can't actually piece together the whole story until you watch it at the end of the film um, i mean you're you're given the facts you're in the same way that the characters are. that's right which is um sort of um which is not incredibly it's not exactly fair play because there's um uh there's stuff with tim robbins's character and like his actions as an adult that you don't find out until like the pinnacle moment of revelation and that's not fair play because I wasn't able to piece together the whole story until that exact moment. Um, and so that's, you can't, um, you can't solve the mystery ahead of time, I guess you can guess and it can be an educated guess, but it's not, it, you're not fully, but I, um, yeah, I was really taken away and I, the ending blew me away and I almost want, I want like a weird, like weirdly, I want a sequel. Like, because it, it like leaves like, unresolved matters, and I really just this is spoilers for Mystic River, which actually we've been really good about spoilers for for these so far. But I'm going to spoil Mystic River. I want Sean Penn versus Kevin Bacon. Like, like I. I mean, 
yeah, so so I enjoyed the movie, but I have some problems with it. One of the problems being, like, I think Kevin Bacon's just the worst cop in the world. He is like, not you know, great. You know Sean Penn killed somebody, and you're just like, okay, yeah, well, he, bye forever. Yeah, he's, he's kind of, oh, you mean at the end? But he's not, oh, you mean at the, yeah, well, he doesn't have any evidence to, like. No, but he should be going out looking for evidence. Sure, but. You uh, know he killed somebody. Right, but that's the point of the, the, that last scene. He is. Like, he's going to get him. That's the whole point with, like, the finger gun, and he's looking at him across the street like, I'm going to get you. Like, no, he's not going to get him. He's just going to he's just gonna sit at the parade with his wife who – I mean, that's a side story that I think is totally unnecessary in the movie. Kevin Bacon's like, oh, hey, yeah, yeah my w- – absolutely, completely my, my, unnecessary. My estranged wife randomly calls me and doesn't say anything. Yep. Okay, it has no bearing on the movie whatsoever. It doesn't. It, I guess the point is that you're supposed to see all three of them with their wives. And so, like, you're also looking at, like, the different types of relationships that they've formed since being friends as kids. And, like, mm-hmm. what their family dynamic is like in each of their in each of their lives. So, in that case, from, that like, comparison triangle it mm-hmm. serves a purpose, but it has no narrative purpose. It has no plot purpose. It it, it is purely um, for it's purely character, and not and it doesn't have any bearing on the plot. You know, which is weird because like that has no bearing on the plot, and it's it's given a decent chunk of not time, but it's given enough thought for the movie. Whereas Tim Robbins' wife. There's clearly either something had happened between his wife and Sean Penn's character. Okay. Or, like, you get the sense that they had some sort of relationship that they don't talk about? Um, It's possible. I don't actually think that I – I really didn't pick up on that. I just – like, that they were – yeah, that they I, they you definitely you definitely get it when like she's at like she's always over their house, always wanting to help. Yeah, I kind of just took that as that Sean Penn's character had always just kind of been watchful of Tim Robbins' character because like Tim Robbins' character says of Emmy Ross is like yeah I've known her since she was a kid and like they right. go and see one another so like whereas Kevin Bacon's character drifted from them um sean penn kind of remained this like e- even though he was in and out of prison you know he had that two-year stint like he remained this kind of pr- watchful eye well, over him i mean to an extent i mean their wives are cousins uh, sure their wives are related so they're you know they're essentially part of they're one essentially family. part of the same family mm-hmm. right um but i just feel like there's more tour to marsha gray harden and and um, Sean Penn's character, their relationship with each other, then the movie, then the movie tells you like it hints at it, but nothing really ever comes of it. Mm. So you don't know if there was a relationship prior to them meeting their respective spouses, if there was some sort of extramarital affair, or if it's just a one-sided uh, thing on Marsha Gay Harden's part. There's definitely some subtext there that the movie doesn't take into account when it's exploring the relationships even though it gave a you know a chunk of time 
to Kevin Space uh, to Kevin Bacon's uh, relationship with his wife that doesn't really affect the movie. Like the fact that she rats out Tim Robbins to Sean Penn is is one of the main is one of the main things about the resolution of the movie and that's why like i think any relationship they have or any feelings that there are need to have been need to have been explored in the movie and it mm. wasn't i um i wonder if it was explored in the novel by More than likely, I mean, first i'm not I actually have it i've never i've never read it i've had it for a long time uh, I used to work at a bookstore. You got free books sometimes, you know, and that was like, oh, yeah, I'll take Mystic River. Sure. Everyone's talking about it. I'll read the book <laughs> before I see the movie. Never saw it. Um, it's possible. I didn't – honestly, I didn't really think about that as the as the movie was going. I found some of the um, secondary stuff that was going – like not unnecessary but not bulky enough to take too much notice of. Mm-hmm. If that if that uh, makes sense in your in your mind, grapes. Um, I did think that the performances are really what sells the movie. I can see why Penn and Robbins won. I can see why Marcia Gay Harden was um, was nominated. Uh, it's very strong, and most of their accents are pretty good. Which you... yes, uh, I do not I do not hate everyone's Boston accent in this movie, which is good. Um, I think Tim Robbins. Does a really good job, but Sean Penn, I just think is Sean Penn. Um, yeah, I, yes and no. I I think that because it's Sean Penn, sometimes we go, oh, it's Sean Penn, and we don't, you know, we don't like. I think he, so. Like, I think he's better in Milk than he is here. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I there's an, but I think sometimes people like mistake his the intensity that he can bring to on screen is just like oh that's Sean Penn he's intense on screen but mm-hmm. i think that's a it, it is a it works for this movie and this character and so i um and again this is also like oh he did a good boston accent so let's give him an award era of movie <laughs> making so um yeah so i would i recommend that i honestly i recommend all of these movies this year i was 2004 was a was a good sweep of a year. I I think that there's something for everybody at least in one movie. Um mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. and uh from a personal note, they uh, this movie weirdly mentioned the town I live in now and the town I grew up in in the span of 5 seconds and that was weird to me. It was. That was so I'm, weird. <laughs> I'm seeing I'm like, wow. Wow, that, I see. Wow, yeah, yeah that was yeah. that was so strange. Um, my favorite of it was it was like hey, we got him at a rest stop in uh, blah blah blah, and I was like, there's no rest stop here. What are you? This <laughs> is a one road town. Geography you liar, <laughs> liar. <laughs> so, uh, and this is even written by somebody like near it. Like, how could you screw that up? I mean, you could like if you went off the exit, maybe like you can count like that gas station as a rest stop, and like this is a this is a big town, but like. It's actually a city, but I mean, like, but yeah, liar, liar. <laughs> anyway, give me some fun facts. The good facts. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> yep. That is uh, that is a different movie. Okay, so Mystic River. The situation uh, at the opening of the movie is based on an incident when, as a child, author Dennis leon's mother severely reprimanded him for getting into a car with men who claimed to be plainclothes policemen really 
Yeah. Dennis Lehane got into a car with. Come on, Dennis. Come on. I mean, the, this kid does it. Right. I know. But it's a movie. Um, I mean, he also has a badge. Like, No, he doesn't. There's... He, oh, he does have a badge. But I, he just has, like, handcuffs hanging from his belt loop. Like, but, I mean, like, no, I, thought they were, I thought they were cops at the beginning. Yeah. Like, I, it, it was well, only I when thought... he was like, I'm just going to take you, kid. And I was like, that's not well, right. Well, because he was the one who lived outside of that area. Like, the other two were like... I live right there in that house, and the other kid was like, "I live in the house behind." That's you. right, and so if so, that means that they would have gone to the house that was literally right there to knock on the door. They wouldn't have been right. Like, I'm going to take this yeah. kid all the way. No, no, no. That that is what that's what smelled wrong. Yeah. To see, me. I thought he was an actual plainclothes policeman. Yes, I did so, too. Up until he was like, "I'll just take one of you." I was like, "No, no, no." No, I'll, I still think I I I still thought he was like. So here's the thing: like, I don't. Like, in my mind, he really is a plainclothes policeman using that it, to prey on kids. I, I mean, it's possible. Because um, it's if weird, it, like, I think he that's just tr- has, like, the cardinal or bishop or whatever in the front seat driving around. Like, they're tooling around. Uh, that You know, it, it is possible. I had not really considered that, but it is possible. I don't know. Um, that guy played... Um, uh, Falcone on Gotham, by the way, that first plainclothes policeman. Oh, really? He played Carmine Falcone. He was very good yeah. at it, too. Yes, he was. Laura Linney shot this concurrently with Love Actually, commuting across the Atlantic for both shoots. Holy moly. T- yep. talk, about a, talk about a range. Yeah. Michael Keaton was originally cast as Sean Devine. He had done several script readings with the rest of the principal cast, and he had done... And he had been doing research for the role of the Massachusetts State Police Department and living in Boston for several weeks. A month before principal photography was to start, Keaton and producer and director Clint Eastwood got into a huge argument, and Keaton left the project. A week later, Kevin Kevin Bacon was cast in the role. Keaton was in a movie about child abuse by the Catholic Church in Boston in Spotlight. One of the best movies we've ever reviewed on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I that's he would have been great. He would have been he would have been actually really good in yeah. this in this movie. I think the I think the argument was Michael is Keaton being like, why the hell are we spending so much time on this wife? <laughs> Maybe like don't 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 you want to do something else? <laughs> do you want to get nuts? What do you know? <laughs> Why am I not wearing a cape and cowl in this scene? Because you, because you're a guy. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't need you anymore. Any, anyway. Oh, man. Good stuff. Uh, was that your three? Fun? Was that three? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. All right. Let's talk about best picture uh, of 2004. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, directed by Peter Jackson, written by Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, and Philip Aboyans, based on the novel by J.R. Tolkien. Starring, um, this is this is a long list, so take a break. Go to the bathroom if you want to. Okay. okay. Elijah Wood, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Ian McKellen, Orlando Bloom, Jonathan Rice davies Andy Serkis, Dominic Monaghan, Billy Boyd, Bernard Hill, Ian Holm, Kate Blanchett, John Noble, Miranda Otter, Liv Tyler, Carl Urban, Hugo Weaving, and David Wenham. This movie was nominated for every movie for every award that it won, and they are as follows: Best Picture, Director, Adapted Screenplay, Editing, Production Design, Costume Design, Makeup, Original Score, Original Song, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. 
Uh, if you have not seen Lord of the Rings, particularly Return of the King, it concludes uh, the th- trilogy saga of the Lord of the Rings in which Gandalf and Aragorn lead the world of men against Sauron's army to draw his gaze from Frodo and Sam as they approach Mount Doom with the One Ring. Um, Palmer, I think I've stated many times uh, in our lives together that I love this movie very much and I love Lord of the Rings, of course. And so I'm not going to say that I was biased because I watched all because you were and they were excellent um and i said that throughout um this podcast as as you can go back and listen to um all of these movies are great but i when it came to watching this movie thought kind of like the academy and i was like okay so if you're treating lord of the rings as kind of one movie over three parts over three years what would you how would you watch this and i thought it was great Again, like I always do, it's a it's a beautiful piece of it's a beautiful piece of cinema that not only um, is a good movie, but it it is uh, important to cinematic history for its um, for its um, kind of legitimization of the fantasy genre as 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 an award winner. It's um, the technology that was created for the film. Uh, and so on and so forth. And so, um, but I could talk about, I could talk about Lord of the Rings and gush over it for a long time, but I'm not going to do that. I would love to hear why you hated it. Uh, because let's start for starters. Gandalf is the worst wizard ever. He is not. And but yes, but I need, I need fine point reasons for why you think because so. Because just a basic, a basic thing for wizards is a teleportation spell which he lacks. But he, that alone makes him a horrible wizard. Just replace him with David Copperfield. We've talked about this on we talked about this on text and whatever. Teleportation spells do not exist within Lord of the Rings. And I'm going to I'm going to put on my nerd glasses and lower them down on my nose and I've got my copy of the book right here. You see it. I'm just going to look and and it <laughs> says why and that, turn the page and turn the page. No, so like if you really want to get really specific about it, the types of magic that exist within the world of Middle-earth is not just like a like do whatever you want kind of magic that's not that's not its point um you're thinking of magic in terms of either stage of magic, magic or you're thinking of terms of stage magic or um even or, some, or harry or, or or the type of magic in harry potter or something like that but not all magic is this is the same you're a dungeons and dragons player occasionally you know that teleportation mm-hmm. is not a thing in dungeons and dragons either it is though. Yeah, you can move fifteen feet. Woohoo. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. Saying. Great. They saved approximately five seconds of walking time. It's not really it's not a thing in fantasy because from a from um or I should say from like a like a plot point like this type of like high fantasy swords and sorcery, because it because the journey itself is part of the plot. It's not just the destination, but it is the journey to get there is part of the experience. And so if you can just teleport, then it you like you miss out on the actual character development and things like that. So the magic that Gandalf uses, if you want to call it magic, is stuff that um, is is. Um, like stuff that deals with light and concussion and a concussive blast things things of that nature but like the like meta like moving through a metaphysical realm through a wormhole or things like that that stuff doesn't exist inside of middle earth 
It should. But that's that's not He for also you to can't decide. fly. That's like nobody that's another nobody flies. Like the the eagles do. They're eagles. They literally are giant birds that fly. That's um and then like you can get rid of so much you can get rid of so many characters. Like there are just so many characters that are unnecessary. You only really need one hobbit. I'm willing to give you two hobbits. Like you give me Frodo and the singing hobbit, fine. The other two are unnecessary. The singing hobbit. <laughs> it's Billy Boyd and it's Pippin. Um, yeah. Did you like that? No one did you that. like that scene with John Noble? I love that song. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, but it really is Billy Boyd singing too. He yeah, did. He did the end credits. Peter Jackson brought him back to do the end credit song for the Hobbit: Battle of Five Armies. Actually, yeah, um, yeah. Like out of all my problems with this series, the the songs, like the actual. The actual songs, not necessarily the soundtrack or the music, but the songs I really like. I really liked the Enya song in the first one. I really liked Gollum's song in Two Towers. I love... Um, Annie Lennox's Into the West. I love Annie Lennox's song, Into the West. I really enjoy Billy Boyd's song in this. Um, so the songs I really like... You don't need like I. I was fine if we never had like any of the Boromir characters. Get rid of that whole side story. That's not a side story. That's part of Aragorn's. That's like literally part of one of the main characters' stories. That's not a side no. story. You're looking uh, at this at, like as a, a one. Wizard. You're looking at this as like a one character piece movie, but it's an ensemble piece. So like there are lots I'm, of characters I'm looking that at have. This. That stories. Gollum is the actual hero of this entire story, and he was relegated. He was just relegated to being bullied by the fat one, Sam. You're talking about Sam, Rudy. No body Rudy. shaming here, please. <laughs> Listen, uh, okay. So go ahead, tell me Gollum's story. Go ahead, like why is Gollum, Gollum the hero? Is a really happy-go-lucky guy yep. who finds a ring one day. While fishing with his best friend, his best friend tries to steal the ring from him and mysteriously dies in the process. <laughs> no, it's so no wrong one knows no one know No one knows exactly what happened. He's kind of like Tim Robin at the end of Mystic River. He just disappears. Um, I don't think you watched the beginning of this movie very well. <laughs> Smeagol isn't even the one. His name is Smeagol before it's Gollum, and and two, like he's yeah, not Smeagol's even. A dumb name. He's not even the one. And Deagle is his friend, and but he's not even the one to find the ring. Deagle finds it, and Smeagol takes it from Deagle. No, that's not. That no. is true. No, Smeagol. You know, Smeag it's Smeagol's ring. Deagle tries stealing it from him. He mysteriously disappears, and then Gollum. You know, these hobbits kind of, in the second movie, come across Gollum, and after being very mean to him, he's still willing to help them in their journey. So in this one, he's like, hey, we can go up this mountain, and it'll it'll hide us from the rest of the – from the onslaught of people, and all Sam does is berate him throughout the entire movie 
and so you're, it's just so sad. You're missing the point where when he takes them to the when he takes them to Seerth Uncle, you're missing the point where where Gollum literally says he goes up 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 the stairs we go and then we come to the right. tunnel and when they go in there's no coming out she's always hungry she needs to eat and they don't uh it said not very nice at all she hungers for sweeter meats hobbit meat and when she throws away the bones and empty clothes we will find it and we will take it for us he takes them there to kill them so, so they happens, die so here's the thing what happens with the spider tell me exactly what happens with the spider um, at what point would you like me to start? So they get into the they get into the cavern. Okay, so so Gollum and so Gollum and and Frodo enter mm-hmm. enter the cave, right? Yeah. And yep. then what happens? And Frodo gets stucky stuck because right. you're right. And Gollum's yep. like, ha ha ha! She's always hungry. Smell you later, Frodo. And mm-hmm. then he leaves to let Frodo be eaten by a giant spider. Does Frodo get eaten? No, that's not the point. The point is that like it's attempted murder. Like he attempts but to the murder fact them. That they, if Gollum the fact was tried in a court of law, he would go to jail for that. No, the the fact that they go to the spider helps them in their journey. Does it not? Sure. So does falling down the mountain at one point, but that's not the but that's not the intention of Gollum. So you're like it doesn't matter whether you're it helps them or not. Gollum's intention. He tells you his Dude, intention in the movie. I just read really, it to you. It's because you really like Rudy. And I'm telling you, he is the real villain of this Look, movie. Look, I'm not defending. I have not defended Sam's actions against Gollum at all. I do think that Sam is in the wrong and that because, and partially because he mistreats Gollum, that Gollum, like, does not turn over a new leaf. That's, or it, Smeagol does not emerge and Gollum is the oppressive personality. However, that doesn't change the fact that Gollum, starting in the two towers, attempts to murder them and then continues to attempt to murder them throughout the the course of the next two movies. The the real meaning of Lord of the Rings is how bullying is the effect of bullying on poor Gollum. Yes, of course. I think the the point is that the, the influence of evil on Gollum and how he could not escape that. That's kind of like the whole point of like by the time you even like Sam is by, by time that Frodo gets to Mount Doom and he does not cast the ring into the fire is a reflection of the same actions that Gollum has taken. That the only reason the ring even gets destroyed is because of the struggle between Gollum and Frodo. That like see Gollum saves everybody by destroying the ring is what I'm hearing. But Gollum doesn't intentionally throw it into the fire. They accidentally fall off the. You're missing also the part where Gollum bites off Frodo's fingers to get the ring. The poor guy's been hungry. Sam ate all that food. Sam didn't eat the food. Gollum uh, crumbled it up and put it on Sam. No. And then threw the rest of it off the side of the stairs because that's when Sam finds it. And he's like, oh, I better go back and save Mr. Frodo because Gollum's going to kill him. No. Yep. 
myself. Listen, man. I'm sorry. You're, you're wrong. No, actually, I'm really not, which is my favorite part about this <laughs> is because sometimes when we sometimes I like when we 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 get into our we get into our discussions about things like sometimes I am wrong and I will admit that to you. I am actually not wrong here. I am like literally you're not completely wrong. wrong and everyone knows you're and wrong. That is... So just sit there in your wrongness and be wrong. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Uh, uh so anyway, tell me some more things about why you didn't like Lord of the Rings, so I can refute them, please. Um, and you, I want, I would like to say that too long. you, like, I, I, I can say you don't have to like it. I, you know, like we, I think right. we agree on, because I'm smart. No, um, that's not what I was going at at all. I said not everything is made for everybody. Like you just like that's like as it is. I think that there should be an appreciation for some things. Even if you don't like them, like I could hate Moulin Rouge and it's not going to win. I best will kill pick, you, but I could hate it. <laughs> I it's messy and loud and the editing is all over the place and the story is weak and the voices are just OK in it. But I appreciate I am, I'm just messing with you. I you know, am editing you, that entire part. Yeah, out you, of know, you, know, you know that I like it. But like, <laughs> but my my point, like I, you don't you don't it doesn't have to be 100 percent for all things, but there should be. But there is usually an appreciation that goes along with with some important pieces of film history. And I think like I think that Lord of the Rings does a lot of good for Lord of the Rings does a lot of good for the film industry and like we're still kind of feeling the effects of those outside like there are movies that are nominated post Lord of the Rings that would never get a chance um without people without Peter Jackson and and team legitimizing fantasy genre for the academy this was pretty unheard of see you say that but i feel like if i ask you Name a movie that it that it helped out. Any movie you name, I'll be like it. That shouldn't have been nominated. Uh, that's possible, but also I now now I would need to literally need to go back into the list of uh, best. Uh, also, I don't feel now. Again, you're gonna, you're going to refute me on this, and I'm not saying all of them, but I am saying that there is a bunch of visual effect shots in this movie. This movie specifically that I watched that did not hold up. No, I agree. There are a lot of visual effect shots that don't necessarily hold up. I don't think I don't think you're wrong there. Yeah, at all. like them when they go into when they go into the cave to meet the pirates of the Caribbean army. Uh, yep, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Like it just looked really bad green screening yep. at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. There's some. There's there is. That's I mean that's the thing with computers though like it just it ages you know like that it ages badly and, and most, in most and most of the time it really does age it does age badly um and so no I don't disagree with the CG there it is early 2000s CG it's good early 2000s CG for the most part some of it's iffy like the cave and things like mm-hmm. that but but what a what a um what a visual um or what a digital created this thing called massive um it's an anagram for um, for Lord of the Rings, it's like fully AI um, battle sequences, like army. So like everybody doesn't move at the same thing. They do whatever. It's like basically what video games do now. But like right. that's a like that is that's like almost like Jurassic Park level game changer for movies. Everybody uses like at a, like that's everybody uses massive or the next versions of massive over like after this because they didn't need to do. 1500 extras on a battlefield anymore 
you can do wide sweeping shots of movement. And you've never really been able to, you weren't able to do that before. It just didn't exist. Um, and so I think pretty sure Cecil B. DeMille would argue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's dead. So, um, also he wasn't doing it with a computer. And so I think, I think the contribution in some way, in some ways, not always, but in some ways trumps the, the, like the, um, the iffiness of some of the graphics and like when we when we get to avatar my stance is going to be the same not all of avatar avatar is a beautiful film and and helped and helped change digital effects in movies for the better but some of it is not all of it looks great anymore some of it still does some of it is very good not all i don't know i haven't seen it i haven't seen it since it came out so when we get to there, we'll have to. Yeah, some it, some of it I'm, just doesn't work the same way as it used to anymore. But I think that you know some of well, not every, even movies that are practical effects, some of them still they they look fine, you know, because they are made in a particular era. Um, so I think, but I think the the difference between I think the difference between iffy graphics that don't add anything to the industry and iffy graphics now that have had a huge impact on the industry is kind of something mm-hmm. that the Academy takes into account and something that we mostly take into account here. All right. If you say so. Okay, great. All right. So tell me, tell me more about why you don't like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not just me. Your cat also hates Lord. Of My the Rings. cat who's named after the author of Lord of the Rings. Yes. He, d- he did not have say in that. No, his name was Lex Luthor, but he kept trying yeah. to shave his scalp, so I had to put a stop to <laughs> it. I was like, no, you won't be a bald kitty. No. <laughs> put down that razor. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, he likes it just fine. It's all good. No, actually, if those are, if those are really your only complaints, then your complaint list is actually quite small in, Look, in comparison. We have two more movies of these that we're going to have to review. I need to keep some stuff for each movie. Sure. I um, well, we'll, we'll get to it as we get to it. Lord of the Ring, uh, the Return of the King is not my favorite of the three. Fellowship is my favorite. Um, and so, but see, and it's actually my favorite of the three. So there you go. Um, Fellowship because it's, Return is because most people. Mo- Return is most people's favorites. I I like Fellowship for different reasons. We could talk about that when we when we get to be- it. But um, because it ends, I know at the end I never have to watch this again. Is essentially why. Good for you. Oh, we're gonna watch it again. Don't worry. Don't worry. Actually, here's a question though. Were you because you have never finished one or two? Um, and you've only seen this once. Were you able to follow along with like most of like who people were, plots, how they connected to one another? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious as it. I was never lost going like, uh, "Who's this? Why is this there?" They they always gave enough background. That's good. I mean, that's actually a pretty strong testament to you know movies that are made all at once. You know, and then because, you know, like they were simultaneously filming stuff for Fellowship as they were like they were like filming Frodo, Gollum and Sam at one point over here while they were filming stuff for Two Towers over here. And, you know, like that's that's difficult. That's a massive undertaking to film three movies at once. Um, Yeah. Especially just coming off of the Frighteners, because that was Peter Jackson's movie right before this. (sighs) That is that is a much better movie. It's an underrated movie for sure. I wouldn't call it much better. It is underrated. It's because it's Michael J. Fox. The fact Fox that that it. wasn't nominated for Best Picture is a travesty. Yeah. Is it, though? 
<laughs> it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, give me some fun facts about Lord of the Rings The Return of the King. Please. All right. The dead elephant carcass used in this movie is reportedly the largest prop ever built for a movie. According to members of the prop department, director Peter Jackson still thought it could have been bigger. That's great. That's great. Since Jonathan Rice Davis suffered constant rashes from wearing the Gimli makeup, the makeup department gave him the opportunity to throw his Gimli mask into the fire on his last day of pickup photography. He didn't hesitate a moment to grab it and burn it. <laughs> That's awesome. He also used to hit people full on with his axe. He didn't um, – he's like, I don't have time for stage combat. And so instead <laughs> of making it look like he was hitting people, he would right. just full out hit people. Uh, nice. Yeah. Gollum is missing his left earlobe. This is due to an air trap in the casting that was made for Peter Jackson's approval of the figure. When looking at the casting, the design team concluded that it should stay that way since it looked like a battle wound that might have occurred during Gollum's past adventures. Hmm. Very good. That's yeah. very cool. All right. Well, Palmer, I think yes. we're ready. We're going to be ready for the 2004 Rewindies. Yes, we will. Excellent. I'm going to tell everyone where they can find us before we get to them, however. You do that. I will. You can find us on Twitter at Academy Rewind and TimothyPG13. You can rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify and the Google Play Store and find us all the places podcasts can be found. You can go to patreon.com slash thoughtbubbleaudio to support the show and all of the Thought Bubble Audio shows. And go to thoughtbubbleaudio.com to check out all of our other Thought Bubble Audio programs. Woohoo, I did it. What a great commercial that was. Good job. Thanks. Palmer, the 2004 Rewindies, they are as mm -hmm, follows. Mm -hmm. Sporting actor, sporting actress, production design, gossip design, makeup and hairstyling, music, visual effects, cinematography, editing, sound, actor, actress, writing, adapted or original, and best picture. All right. Are you? Would you like me to go first or would you like to go first this time? No, you can go first. I will go first. Here we go. Supporting actor... Goes to Sean Astin for The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Really? Yeah. He's excellent in all three films. I almost gave it to Tim Robbins because he's pretty spectacular. Uh, and he did win. But I just think there was a bit of an injustice with Sean Astin not winning. So there you go, Sean Astin. Okay. Tim Robbins. Excellent choice. <laughs> excellent choice. Excellent choice. <laughs> uh, supporting actress. Uh, I'm going to give it to Marcia Gay Harden for Mystic River. I'm going to give it to Elizabeth Banks for Seabiscuit. Okay, you do that. I will. Okay, good. Production design, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Master and Commander. Good ship. It's a real good ship. Very, yep. very accurate. Um, I was what I was going to say before, and I forgot, I'm treating this in a a bit like the, uh, the way the Academy did because they're all – Three films were filmed at once. Sets were built at once. They, you know, like integrated throughout all three. I'm kind of treating Return of the King as the capstone to the three films. So you won't see me for the next two years of Academy, or two seasons of Academy Rewind after this. Like, just keep giving awards to Return of the King um, or to the Lord of the Rings, I mean, uh, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Um, so, um, best costume design the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King. Seabiscuit. Makeup and hairstyling, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Mm. All right, Lord of the Rings. Ah, uh, yay! It was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best music, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. 
Lord of the Rings. Yay. I don't like the instrumental. I'm giving it based solely on on Singy Hobbit and Annie Lennox. Uh, I don't care. How, it's still one. I don't really care why you gave it, though. I just find the I just find the recurring um you find you find motifs annoying. Do you? When it's when it's severely overdone. And I feel like it is in Lord of the Rings. Potentially, you'll never know. Um best visual effects. Um I'm going to give it to this one was actually a toss up for me because from like what we talked about. I'm going to give it to Return of the King because of the impact, but I think that Master and Commander holds better than this yeah. do, than this does. That is why I'm going with Master and Commander. Very good. Uh cinematography, uh I'm going to give to the Lord of the Rings the Return of the King. Master and Commander. Okay, dokie. Editing, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Seabiscuit. Yeah, okay. Best sound, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Seabiscuit. Okay. Best actor, I'm going to continue with the um with the Academy's choice and give it to Sean Penn, who I thought was pretty excellent. Bill Murray. Yeah, good choice. I did think about Bill Murray. I was close with Bill, but Sean Penn, I just was really riveted by his performance, and sometimes I, I'm just not. And so, mm-hmm. uh, best actress, I'm going to give it to Scarlett Johansson for Lost in Translation. Yep. Yeah. The, the actresses were hard because these were very male-centric films. Yeah, like there's not a female in Master and Commander. Not a one. Seabiscuit just has Elizabeth Bank and and uh, his first wife. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and Lord of the Rings has a few. It has like Miranda Otto and Kate Blanchett and um, you know Liv Tyler, but they they're not of substance enough to really. Yeah. Miranda Otto is probably the closest one, but that's not. Yep. Yeah. It's not much. Uh, best writing: Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Lost in Translation. Good choice. And Best Picture, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Lost in Translation. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, not totally not totally surprising considering our conversation, but um, I guess the, I just wondered if it did the best of all the categories, but I guess yours were spaced enough. Yeah. yeah. I definitely like, – I really thought you were, going, I thought you were going, technically... I thought you were going with Seabiscuit. That's why I said so. I was surprised. Uh, I thought about it. Um it's it's relatively close, but I just like I really like Lost in Translation. I think it's maybe not a perfect movie, but it is such a well done movie, mm. and it's not. And it could be a movie that I could easily dislike. Yes, that's good. All right, um, yeah. So, all right, right on. Good for you. All yeah. right, next up on Academy Rewind, nineteen ninety four. The movies are as follows. Schindler's List, In the Name of the Father, The Remains of the Day, The Piano, and The Fugitive. Mm. What a weird lineup. Mm. The Fugitive just doesn't feel like it should be there. And I <laughs> One of these things the, that doesn't yeah. go long. Wow, it doesn't. Yeah, and I love The Fugitive. Don't get me wrong. Like I, it, I, we used to, it was like one, a family movie. We watched it all the time when I was a kid. It, it was on constantly, but I just don't understand why like why it's best picture it's so what a weird what a weird choice for number five but here we are um yep. so uh we will be back with those movies so palmer uh i i it's time to leave because they're playing us off no i have so many people to thank too bad bye bye, bye.